Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. Let's just pray as we open God's word. Father, we thank you for the time of worship that we just joined together with today. And Father, in the spirit and the hope of that, we come to you, that it's your breath in our lungs, and that we're here to learn more about you. And so God, we just pray that you would speak. God, I thank you for the reminder in Exodus this week that as I stand up here, I'm not called to be a man of faltering lips, that I'm called to honour you and with the various voice issues i got right now, I just pray that you'd speak through that. Lord, just give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to conceive, a heart that's open to you. God, I just ask that you'd speak. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the midst of a whole year-long study of the Gospel of Luke, and so if you are new here and you want to catch up, uh, please check out our website, albertpark.org.au, where our podcast is live. Uh, If you don't want to catch up, that's totally fine uh, by me. Um, But we're we're in the middle of Luke, so we're in Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 45 today, and I'm going to read it, and then we're going to explain it. So let's read along. It'll be up there once Nikki presses the button, but that's all right, I'll start. It says this, verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, and what they're referring to is Jesus predicted the fact that he was going to suffer many things and be rejected by religious leaders and die and rise again. So about eight days after that, uh, he took Peter, James, and John with him and went up to a mountain to pray. And as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure. When he was about to bring, sorry, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. And while Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying this, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, the large crowd met Jesus And a man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Jesus replied, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Verse 42. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion, and Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, 
healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. And while everyone was marveling at what Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But as they did not understand what this meant, it was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. And so that's what we're going to discuss today. So just to set the scene a little bit, uh, this is the last interaction that Jesus is going to have before he sets his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. This is the last kind of narrative, if you like, before he makes a turn towards the cross. And so Jesus is trying to teach him a few things in this moment. And last week we saw that Jesus predicted or kind of told them ahead of time, there's going to be some bad stuff that's going to happen to me. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again on the third day. And there's a bunch of you people here who aren't going to die before you see that this kingdom is going to come. There's going to be a king coming in his kingdom. And so about eight days after this particular thing that Jesus was telling them, Peter take, oh, sorry, Jesus takes his three kind of top guys with him up on this mountain, Peter, James, and John. And these three guys are the people that you'll traditionally see Jesus spending more time with. He spends a lot of time with the 12, spends stacks more time with these three guys. And it makes complete sense as you read the book of Acts because who are the leaders of the early church? Peter, James, and John. And so Jesus is investing heavily into these three guys and he does it again. And he takes them up on a mountain to pray. And that's not any kind of weird, wacky prayer or anything. It's just what Jesus did every single day. He went up to mountains and prayed. And so this is his normal custom and they're going with him. But what was different is it says this, verse 29, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now, that doesn't happen every day. But it's happening now. And it's reminiscent of Exodus 34, if you remember the story of Moses coming down the mountain and his face is shining. And so he has to put a kind of a covering over his face because he meets with God, his face shines, comes out of this tent of meeting and all of a sudden people like, can't look at him because his just, just face is dazzling white. So he has to put a veil on when he's with the people and then he goes back in with God and celebrates. But Jesus is out in public, his face shining, his clothes as bright as lightning, he's been pimped out, you know, he's, he's in all of his fullness of what he would be. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appear with him. And they also appear in glorious splendor. They also appear otherworldly, if you like. And they're talking with him. And that would be fascinating. Moses, the guy who God used to rescue God's people out of Israel, uh, sorry, out of Egypt, and then through to the promised land, is there, and Jesus is having a chat with him. Elijah, who was the prophet, who is arguably the forerunner to this king who would be to come, is also there, hanging out with Jesus, chatting. He's having a conversation. It's a bit of a weird scene. Two guys who are dead, all of a sudden are back here, having a chat with Jesus. And what they spoke about was particularly interesting. They spoke about what's written here, his departure, Jesus' departure. And that word is the word exodus. It's that idea of his being redeemed, if you like. He's going to be dying and then he's going to be redeemed, his exodus. He's bringing people out of something. That's what they're talking about. 
They're not talking about all the good things Jesus had done. They're talking about what he's about to do. His departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And if you're worried about that the Bible's not true, verse 32 should clear that up for you. Because no one would write this about themselves. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and two men standing there. And as the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter, sorry, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But Peter did not know what he was saying. This is one of those moments where if you're one of the main characters of the book, you edit out this bit, that we were really sleepy and we didn't know what we're talking about. You know, you'd edit that bit out. You'd make it sound like, well, these other two blokes over here, they were asleep, but I was awake. You know? When they Peter, James, and John, they were very asleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw what was going on. They saw this conversation. And like, hold on a minute, that's Moses over there. Why is he what like isn't he dead? Oh, there's Elijah over there, and they're just having a chit-chat. There's gotta be a weird kind of interaction for these guys. And so Peter thinks, you know what, the best thing to do here is you can have a tent over here, and you can have a tent over here, and you can have a tent over here, and we can have little kind of meetings with each other. That I'm going to meet with Moses today, and I'm going to meet with Elijah tomorrow, and I'm going to meet with Jesus over here again, and it's going to be this whole little meeting place. And yet that was not the point, because it says this, verse 34, while Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And this cloud is symbolizing the presence of God. It's the same cloud that traveled with the Israelites back in the Exodus that Moses was with. And so it's symbolizing the presence of God. And this cloud appeared and covered them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. They didn't know what was going to happen. I would be afraid too if some cloud just covered me and you're like, what's going on? And a voice came from the cloud, which is even more freaky. It's not just a cloud covering you, all of a sudden, hello, you know? And a, Thank you. Thank you, Herb. Glad someone liked it. And it's, it said something. And the voice said this. This is my son. Remember, God presence. This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Not listen to anybody. Not listen to Moses. Listen to him. To him. And that word listen is interesting because it, it's... It's something that, I'm not going to explain Greek to you. It's essentially a Greek word that implies two things. One, that you actually hear it with your ear, and two, that you actually do what it says. It's this idea of hearing and heeding at the same time. That in the Greek, there's no kind of, I hear something, but I don't do it. That doesn't exist. It's this idea of, if I'm truly listening, then I'm truly following through with what's being said. And so here is God speaking. He's saying, this is my son. He's mine. He's my son. I've picked him. He's my pick. You know that PE where you get picked first or last or whatever? I picked him and he's the one you're listening to. He's the one that if he speaks, you say, yes, I'm going to do it and you follow through. The question is, well, why should we do that? Well, he answers it because Jesus is God's son and the one that God has chosen. It's not the one that popularity has chosen. It's not the one that the political climate has chosen. It's not the one that society has chosen. It's the one that God has chosen. And that's why we should listen. And when the voice had spoken, they found Jesus was alone. 
There was no sugarcoating what happened here. No longer was Moses and Elijah in the picture anymore. Jesus was the one to be listened to. And Peter, James and John, from that moment on, could make no argument for sitting around and talking about Moses and Elijah all day because the king was here. The one that God had chosen was here. And he was to be listened to. And it's interesting that the disciples kept this to themselves. I think they probably did because everyone would think they were nuts. Just imagine walking in the doctor's office. A cloud came over me. It spoke to me. And I think I should listen. And then a couple of people who were dead then disappeared. People think you're nuts. And so they decided to keep it to themselves and didn't tell anyone at that time what they'd seen. The implication is they did tell someone afterwards in the future when all these things had happened. But what I never noticed about this passage until I read it this week again was that the implication is that they didn't tell the other 12 or the other nine of the disciples either. The implication that this was just for Peter, James and John. Not for the other nine of them. Just for those three guys. That's interesting. So the next day happens. The next day when they came down from the mountain, sort of spend the night there, a large crowd met Jesus. And this was not unfamiliar. People came from him from everywhere. He was healing people. He was teaching some cool stuff. He was a celebrity. People loved him. And so people are crowding around. And a man from the crowd calls out. And he says this, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. That's a pretty good start. I've only got one kid. Can you just like, look after him? That person over there has got eight. Don't worry about those people. i got one, you know. Can you come over here? And so he says, you know what? He's my only child. Come over here. This is my boy. What, what happens with the boy? A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, throws him into convulsion, so he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. Doesn't sound very good. I had a dog, a uh, golden retriever, that had epilepsy, and I can still picture this poor dog with foaming at the mouth, smacking its head against a brick wall. It's a horrible image in my head, but as I read that, I think about that. There's this uncontrollable thing in this boy's life, and the dad is just beside himself because he just wants to help his boy. And he's begging Jesus, can you do something about this? And they say, you know what, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't do it. All these clowns over here, they they got nothing. Can you do it? And Jesus' response is interesting to me. Because he doesn't respond compassionately here, as we would expect him to respond. He says this, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Those are not the words you'd expect out of Jesus' mouth, but he says them. Bring your son here. Now, it's interesting that he says that because they're really strong words. The word for belief is pistos in the Greek. The word for unbelief is apistos in the Greek. So it's saying it's not belief. So the way the, the father is acting and the way the disciples are acting is with unbelief. They don't believe that it really can happen, that things can really change. They're not fully committed to the fact that stuff might actually happen here. They're unbelieving. You know, they're one foot in, one foot out. Might work, might not work. And Jesus is calling him on it. He's saying, you know what? You're kind of half-hearted here. 
You're kind of half in, half out. You're either all in or you're all out. That's his point from last week. And so he, he challenges them. The unbelieving and perverse generation. Bring your son here. And so what happens? Verse 42, while the boy was coming. He's not in Jesus' presence right now, but while he's coming. It's this long-distance healing thing, again, that he did with the centurion's servant and all sorts of other stuff. While the boy was still coming, the demon threw the boy to the ground in a convulsion. Again, I have that image of my dog. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit. He said, zip it to the spirit. Not to the boy, to the spirit. Shush, you're down. And he healed the boy. Healed. Just done. The disciples couldn't do it, he just did it. You know, healed it. Healed, full stop, that's it. Cured, done, nothing more. And he gave him back to his dad. Imagine if you're the dad in that situation. You're freaking out, your son's convulsing, he's got frothing at the mouth, and all of a sudden it's done. No more convulsing kid frothing at the mouth. It'd be unbelievable. Unbelievable. Imagine if you were that boy who's your whole life has been that way. Unbelievable. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Well, of course you would be. Of course you would be. It says this, while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to them, And that's important. Jesus doesn't just talk about all these airy-fairy things that might be useful as like self-help guides for life. He's not like Buddha. He does stuff. He makes things happen. They're talking about what he did, not what he said. They're talking about how that kid's life was changed, not what Jesus said could change. They're talking about what he did, what actually happened in this kid's life. And as they're talking about what he did and marveling at it, Jesus said to his disciples this, listen carefully. And the phrase literally means this, set your ear to my message, tune the radio of your ear if you like, or or let these words sink into your ears, or have your ears pay attention to this message. In case you were nodding off again, Peter, over there, tune these things in. I want to say something. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He's already said this before. He's already said, I'm going to suffer many things and die and rise again. He's saying it again. He's predicting ahead of time what's going to happen. But they did not understand what this meant because it was hidden from them. It was hidden so they didn't grasp it and then they were afraid to ask him about it. They are afraid to ask Jesus what he'd said. I don't know why Jesus is hiding it from them probably because of what I said last week, that if they realised what was about to happen, they would stop it. They wouldn't want Jesus getting beaten to a pulp and then hang on a cross. They're not about that. But as we talked about last week, these things must happen. They must happen. There's a purpose behind them. And so Jesus, for whatever reason, is keeping this hidden so that he can do the things that he needs to do to make the things happen that need to happen. And what I find particularly interesting about this is that this is the second time of three times that Jesus predicts that stuff's going to happen to him. That does actually happen. He's starting to build a reliability. He's predicting ahead of time, you know, I'm going to get beaten to a pulp. 
I'm going to hang on a cross. I'm going to rise again. And the king is going to come. This is the second time. He's going to do it one more time. And as we think about reliable witness, as we think about who can we trust in an age of uncertainty, we can trust the one who predicts the worst things to happen to themselves that actually happen. And the best things that happen to themselves that actually happen. Yes, he did die. Yes, he did get beaten to basically nothing. He couldn't even carry the thing on his back. He was so sore, so broken. He did rise again. 500 people at that time saw him rise again in the 40 days between when he rose and when he went back to heaven. You know, a king has come. The Roman Empire got changed because of this man. Once a highly secular institution that was taking over the world, all of a sudden Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. How does that happen? It's not because they said nice things. It's because there's a king who makes a difference. He changes lives. He brings boys to healing. He makes a difference. So as we work through this passage, we see, we see this king, this son of God, who God has pinpointed and said, listen to him. Doesn't matter who else you listen to, listen to him. Tune your ears to what he is saying to you. That's our responsibility. That is what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. Everyone, that's what we're invited to do, to listen to him. In John, uh, there's this great parable about a shepherd and sheep and talks about the sheep listening to the shepherd's voice. They know the shepherd, they listen to him and they follow. It's what God's inviting us to do, to listen, to know and to follow him. That's our invitation for today. In a moment I'm going to pray and there's many of us here who feel like we're already doing that and this should be an encouraging message to us. There's others of us who know that we're not doing that at all and that this might be a challenge to us. And there's others of us here who have never thought about this before and yet maybe want to investigate this and try it out. And so if any of those are true for you, I just want to pray for you specifically today. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you speak. And Father, your invitation is that we listen, that we tune our ears to what you're saying. And we listen to you not because society says to, it says the direct opposite. We listen to you because you're God's son. We listen to you because you're the one that God has picked. We listen to you because you're the one who did what no one else could do by dying and rising again from the dead and you predicted it ahead of time. And Lord, the invitation today is to listen to you, to hear your voice and follow And God, that's not necessarily follow a set of rules, that's follow a person. That we'd follow the way of Jesus. And Father, for some of us, that should just come as an encouragement in our ears. 
Lord, we know the way our Saviour leads us. Beside quiet waters, we know the restoring that you bring to our souls. Father, for others of us, we know that we're not even... You may speak, but we aren't listening. We put our fingers in our ear, we turn up the volume of our lives. God, I just pray for these guys and girls today that you would continue to speak in that still and silent voice and that you might open their hearts and open their ears to want to listen to you. And Father, for those of us here today who've never listened to you, don't even know what that means to listen to you, but are interested, are open to the possibility that there might be a God somewhere up there who speaks and who might want to know our name, who might want to know what we're about, who might want to lead and guide us in a, in a good path. God, I just pray for such people that they might take that first step of following today, that they might just open your word with the sole desire to hear your voice. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet them in the midst of that. Lord, I thank you that we all have stories like this boy, those of us who are believers in the room, where we were blind but now we see. We were lost and now we're found. We were imprisoned, now we're set free. We were addicted and now we're not. God, that you work in mysterious ways and yet you always do work. It's not just talk. It's action and talk. And so, Father, we just pray that you'd lead and guide all of us today. Come, Holy Spirit, as we sung and as we prayed. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Saviour. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10am every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.